Okay, hello and welcome to Dan Oates Says So, episode 31. My guest today is a cornerstone in American punk rock and really in political music during my lifetime. Um, first came on my radar as the frontman for the Dead Kennedys. Also did, you know, remarkable work in Lard. Currently making a lot of noise in Guantanamo School of Medicine. Jello Biafra in the Guantanamo School of Medicine. Um, and for decades now, there's the man himself. For decades now, uh, a purveyor of all sorts of high-minded music via his label, Alternative Tentacles. Jello Biafra, thank you for doing this. Hey, thanks for having me. Right. So just before we hit record, you and I went searching the YouTube for some of your latest work. Why don't you talk to me about Blunder Blubber? Well, Guantanamo School of Medicine just dropped a new, so far, digital-only single. There'll be vinyl someday, somehow, but I haven't figured out how. I mean, there's another song sitting out there, maybe two, but I'm not sure how we're going to do that yet. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, the song is called Blunder Blubber, and we released it to celebrate the death of Rush Limbaugh. You know, one down, 77 million to go. We need good, good news every once in a while. And I have no qualms whatsoever in this PC microaggression. Oh, don't hurt anybody's feelings. I don't care. I mean, that guy went so far out of his way to hurt so many people. You know, he doesn't deserve to be here anymore. He's pro-death penalty anyway. So, uh, you know, um, good riddance to him, all I can say. The song itself was originally written clear back in the Clinton era, when he oh, yeah. first kind of reared his ugly head right after, uh, well, he started with his, uh, you know, professional bigot, professional bully shtick right after uh, President Ronald McReagan overrode Congress's renewal of the fairness doctrine. This law they had to pass during the Depression to counter out and out Nazi and fascism supporters taking over airways like Father Coughlin and some other ones. So the Fairness Doctrine said, okay, you talk shit, you have to let somebody else come on and reply. Would there ever be Fox News if that came back? And there was a lot of push to bring it back when Obama got in in 2009, but my dear old friend who claims to represent my district named Nancy Pelosi, I mean, <laughs> said, off the table, off the table, off the table. Yet another one of her God awful decisions she's done over the years that have led to so much damage and everything like losing both houses in 2010, or close to the Senate, and that took one more just because they would they decided not to make the Bush tax cuts coming up for renewal an issue. And everybody hated that. I mean, if they'd run on that, they would have been able to save a lot of stuff that got blown up when John Boehner and McConnell took over and stuff. No, no, off the table, off the table. It's time somebody pushed Nancy Pelosi off the table. Or at least, you know, she please retire. I mean, she says this is her last term, but damn it. If it really is, she needs to step down in the next six months, get a new speaker, and then they can be brought up to speed before they get thrown in the shark tank as speaker in 2022, instead of having to do it blind and you don't know who the next speaker is going to be. I mean, the, the, the majority leader in the House and the whip, you know, James Clyburn and then Steny Hoyer for the majority leader, they're all around 80 or older. Mm-hmm. 
and Diane Feinstein is, you know, if she really wants another term, she's going to be like the female Strom Thurmond into her 90s. And she's already starting to forget where she is or who she's talking to. And she won't leave. This Typical doesn't make her. me, this doesn't leave, leave me mentally right to where you and I were going to talk about. But it, well, it, it, begs, let, well, it, begs, it begs a specific follow-up. You're a Green Party member, right? Yeah. But in well, face of a Trump point, general election, did you vote I, Green? Um, I voted green because okay. I know Biden's history. Plus, I'm in a you know a state where he was going to win anyway. So I say I'm not sure what <clears throat> what I would have done if I was back in Colorado. But you know, I, I like voting for what I want and not getting it more than voting for what I don't want and getting it. If you know, strong what argument I mean. to be made. And Joe Biden has a long, horrible history in the in the senate you know he some of the worst drug war laws were his he threw a prima donna hissy fit when the patriot act went out because he claimed ashcroft had plagiarized the whole thing from a bill of his and uh you know and, and greasing the skids for clarence thomas to be on the supreme court and other things i mean he's not our friend I mean, I'll give him credit. Right now, he's trying, and he walked into a horrible mess, and there are some things he's good at. And the speech he made yesterday for to commemorate a memorial for half a million people who died of COVID, probably all but 50 to 100,000 of them would still be alive if Trump wasn't president when the pandemic hit. I mean, at least he wasn't president when Ebola hit, or neither of us would be here anymore. But anyway... Um, you know, he did that very well. It was very moving. And, uh, you know, I had to get, you know, I thought, you know, the, the the Bushes couldn't have given that speech. The Clintons couldn't have given that speech. I'm not sure Obama could have given that speech in the way he did. And, you know, that was a moment where Biden was good. So I'm hoping he has greater ambition than to just be the Democrats version of Gerald Ford. Let's put it that way. To but your back credit, to, sorry, my bad. Go ahead. Oh, you. Um, I was about to rewind to the Blunderblubber song, but uh, go for it. No, go for it. Okay. The one well, thing about um, these interviews is they're your canvas, not mine. You know what I mean? So go ahead. <laughs> yeah, that's what they all. Even Tim Yohannan used to say that. Ha ha ha. But <laughs> the man was a friend of mine. I know. He was a friend of mine for the most I know he part was. too, and he did more good than harm by a long shot. He just. In my opinion, he tied himself and put himself into a corner and kind of lost his mind. I don't but, know about uh, lost his mind, but I'm with you on painting himself into a corner. I, yeah. I had great frustration his last few years with Maxman. But. Yeah, yeah, I know. And it's, it's a heartbreak and the cult took over. But, um, you know, instead of Moonies, there were yo-yos. I mean, there's still a lot of good in that magazine. But um, it's also, you know, look at it after a while and the same people are arguing about the same little nuances and little mm -hmm. nitpicks that they were 30 years ago, which in some ways reminds me of some elements of the Green Party. Yeah. And one of whom I hate to say I caught whiffs of from years ago when I met Howie Hawkins, who ran this time, but I voted for him anyway, because I just, I could not in good conscience vote for Biden. What can I say? Okay. So I didn't ever voted for Obama either. I haven't voted for a Democrat since Jimmy Carter in 76. And people forget that as good as an ex-president as he's been in some ways, he was the one who really took the bull by the horns to steer the Democrats in a more corporate, more 
conservative trajectory yeah. from which they've never really recovered. I mean, for the most part, all things considered, we've just been fed one flavor of Reagan after another to this day. And I'm as frustrated as Bernie Sanders about the whole thing, watching it all go down. But back to Blunder Blubber, um, wrote it during the Clinton era when he was well underway by then and getting all this, you know, fawning over him as, in, in, as, a, as some kind of anti-pop star pop star. I mean, that's how you make pop stars out of demagogues. You complain about them so much that they're always in the news. Exhibit A, Donald J. Trumpzi, T-R-U-M-P-Z-I, or Trumpamuck, whatever you want to call him, but um, still going on with him, too. But anyway, so the point of the song, I figured, well, we never did it before. Maybe it's kind of ancient, but oh, wait a minute. No, he's still, he's more powerful than ever, and more to the point, the consolidation and dumbing down of corporate cartoon McNews as hostile takeover laws and merger laws were relaxed also under Ronald McReagan, where suddenly these proud independent networks, we were really proud of their news departments, profit or not, all of a sudden they have to answer to executives at General Electric or Westinghouse or Disney when they got ABC from Capital Cities Industry, which had the then rogue CIA director, William Casey on their board, no less. And those executives decide what's what. I mean, let's not forget the, there are borders and you know, there's certain things MSNBC can be good for and certain things not. Because at the end of the day, even Rachel Maddow has to answer to executives at Comcast. You know, you got to filter it through that lens and stuff. But anyway, but basically it's like, there isn't just one Limbaugh anymore. There's a whole plague of them now, you know, just, you know, it's a, it's a pandemic all its own and only getting worse. And that was all by design. And Bill Clinton played a lot to do with it too. When he rammed through the telecommunications act of 1996 with his old buddy, Newt Gingrich to round up the Republicans. He gets a few corrupt right-wing Democrats. And that's how we got NAFTA and GATT treaty that gave us the WTO and the telecom bill that deregulated how many media entities, newspapers, radio, TV stations, whatever, one family organization could, corporation could own in one territory. And then one could own almost everything. And all of a sudden Clear Channel just swallowed up all these radio stations. And instead of black community news, you got Britney Spears piped in from Atlanta and no news except of course, right-wing news. Well, I've got a question, you... this begs a question for you if I could interrupt. You're making me think of something and I'm not a sharp enough guy to retain it without throwing it in there, which is talking about pulling away the fairness doctrine, right? Um, on the one hand, it sounds like an act of deregulation. And so just by use of that vocabulary, you would think of it as being right friendly, right? But from another direction, couldn't the fairness doctrine be sort of treading on thin ice regarding the first amendment or the general thinking behind the first amendment? Well, that was Nat Hentoff's position, a longtime advocate for free speech. And I couldn't disagree with it more. It just allows oppressors to oppress when especially when you drive across middle america and you're trying to find anything on the dial and it's all right-wing talk all uh, all across the radio dial agreed it's heinous 
And a lot, and, and it used to be that local news was local news and not infomercials for products and national news, news regurgitated because now the corporation doesn't want to pay for reporters and mm-hmm. things like that. It's what's known as dumbing down. And one way to try and get more out there so you don't have such a divide of people calling themselves ditto heads with Rush Limbaugh or uh, dick sucking Fox News or QAnon or whatever, you know, who do you think Q is? Is it Donald Trump or is it Donald Jr.? <laughs> Might be maybe the one that's Bannon, never on Coke or the dad, but anyway. May, may, maybe it's all of them at different times. I don't think Stephen Miller is that creative enough, but you never know. You know, he's the one who wanted all the little kids thrown in cages, which is basically a war crime. Bond villain out of central casting, that dude. Yeah, you know, Obama never went after war criminals with uh, Abu Ghraib or Gitmo or any of the rest. You know, I don't have much confidence in Biden in that regard, let alone Merrick Garland. But those are war crimes. There were even butcher jobs on young women giving them hysterectomies without them knowing what was happening to them. That's Auschwitz stuff. That's Dr. Mengele stuff. That's also why it's barely ever mentioned on corporate news. So let's and go so, where you and I were talking so about. The, okay, uh, sure. the, the, the fairness doctrine, somebody has to be able to say some of this stuff. Or if somebody in the Trumpsy QAnon world, which, you know, that blankets a lot of other things too. I mean, it's the whole, we can talk about it in a minute, Satan's comb over phenomenon, mm-hmm. which didn't even start in the United States. It's a worldwide thing. Well, you're but, getting where and, we were headed, so just run. And a lot of it, a lot of it, is, you know, it, it, it's, uh, you have to be, the, the part of the way you oppress speech is if you have so much money, you buy up most of the avenues for expression of speech and deny all kinds of impressionable people access to other information. I yeah. agree that with Michael Moore, who's been saying this for 20 plus years, that a lot of the so-called Limbaugh ditto heads or the Fox News followers or everything else, we're on the same, you know, they're on our side and they don't know it. They have the same frustration, the fear of losing their jobs, not putting food on the table, mm-hmm. not having a place to live. They're, you know, and they don't really like their bosses or anything or the corporations they work for either, but they're just told, this is your way out blame dark people blame people of color blame immigrants as long as they're not europeans and you know you have to we have to get that anger and focus it somewhere where it's not going to threaten the people whose only game they have left is they've already got so much money they can't spend it all but they still want to keep playing the game and making more it's called wealth addiction you know they're like crack addicts only it's money you know once You've made your first million. How much more money do you need? Oh, but I won. I won. I won. I must make more. I must play the game more. And for me to win. And thus we've got the, you know, insane inequality in this country and stuff. So, so um, basically, no, you, you more points of view have to be out there in places where like if somebody watching Fox hears nothing but all bigotry and racism and everything else all the time and somebody else says, wait a minute, it's not people from south of the border who are trying to get here to save the lives of their own children who cost you your job. 
it's those corporations who shipped it overseas right. and stuff like that. And they, you know, it's not that hard to get people to connect with that, but they have to hear about it somewhere first. So allowing the corporate right to have a near monopoly on mass media and on the most common ways to access speech, that is not freedom of speech any more than corporations or people, it's the opposite. Okay, I'm glad I asked. Um, I, I was born in the 60s, grew up in the 70s, you know, found my punk rock in the beginning of the 80s. Um, to my perception, I mean, the earliest Republicans I remember, you know, Goldwater, Nixon, uh, then, you know, Reagan into Bush, I had always just, whether it was because I was the son of a Kennedy Democrat or whatever, I'd always perceived those guys in the bluntest of terms as the bad guys. Okay, as the racist party, as the hateful party, whatever. I realize that's sort of naive and painting with a broad brush. But what I wanted to ask you- They painted themselves with the same brush. Well, then I feel I feel absolved. But what I was gonna say is, is it just me or is it, or are the worst things about that party now an acceptable norm where they used to be something that, that there was flat denial? of? Well, I mean, again, you got to rewind it to Ronald McReagan and shit, not only, you know, letting corporations start buying up more stuff and taking over and making monopolies and oligopolies over more and more things, but also thanks to compliant corporate McNews as it was being uh, formed and honed and whittled and everything else is um, what is a moderate? What is a centrist? I mean, now my motto is never trust anybody who calls themselves a centrist because they're really just another front for big business. But that wasn't always true. There used to be moderate and even liberal Republicans, as well as clear off the scale conservative segregationist Democrats who were only Democrats because Lincoln was a Republican 100 years earlier. Nixon changed that Southern strategy, silent majority. Look how look how Wallace appeals. We're going to do. I was going to say Wallace too. was a Dem, wasn't he? He was a Dixiecrat, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, he didn't call himself a Dixiecrat. That was Strom Thurmond. Okay. He ran as a separate candidate for president. I believe it was in 1948, or at the very latest 1952. He ran as a Dixiecrat on a segregationist platform. And then eventually, I think it wasn't until a little bit later, he got kicked out of the Democratic Party and became one of the first, you know, arch white supremacist uh, Southern Republicans like they have running things now and monkeying with all the voting laws to make Jim Crow 2.0 and all that good stuff. But we also have to trace back to Reagan and beyond where the center, the goalposts of the center got moved. And they keep getting moved and keep getting moved where people would bitch and moan the Bill Clinton or Obama or there's some kind of socialist and the, 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 the healthcare stuff, especially Hillary's version, it was kind of based on or to the right of one that Nixon was rolling out when Watergate took him down. I mean, it's gone that far, that direction. Liberal didn't used to be such a dirty word um, what are you, some kind of radical liberal? That was Spiro Agnew originally, Nixon's vice president, his speech writer at the time was Patrick Buchanan, another now forgotten pioneer of all hate all the time. And he he also, you know, he praised Hitler from time to time too, that dude. Yet ended up as NBC's token right winger, MSNBC's token right winger. Um, On what show? 
for about three years, he was part of, you know, he'd be sharing the same screen with Russert and all of them. And it always struck me as bizarre. Yeah, kind of like when was it ESPN who hired Rush Limbaugh as a color (laughs) commentator for football games, and he made such a racist remark about African American quarterbacks in his first broadcast that he got fired. Yep. But uh, then his ratings on his show went up. Mission accomplished. But uh, and, and so now, so basically, slowly but surely, I've had the feeling even back when. Reagan was running things. Go, oh, he's the worst president we're ever going to have. And I thought, oh my God, if ex CIA director Death Squad groupie George Bush becomes president, it's going to get worse, etc. But anyway, um, it's felt like there's been a slow but ongoing coup, corporate coup, not just militia nuts storming the Capitol building. That's not the real coup. Okay. That was a circus. I mean, if they're really serious about that, they would have brought their machine guns, and they didn't. Somebody told them not to. It would, but anyway, you know, this was just a show. But maybe that's all Trump thought he needed. Who knows? But um, basically, think of the corporate coup as a slow-moving tank. You know, the planks on the treads. Every once in a while, another one touches ground, and something else, possibly part of you, gets crushed. And every once in a while, they step on the gas, like 911, Patriot Act, suddenly torture's okay, suddenly we have a concentration camp in Guantanamo Bay, and it's okay. And Privatization like of everything? And then, and then you step on the gas again with Trump. I mean, it seems like our beloved corporate lords and robber barons worldwide decided they'd have enough, they'd had enough of these Occupy people, this Green Party stuff, this climate change, or I should say, I could say climate collapse situation going on. We've had enough of this. The time has come to crush them. So all of a sudden, Brexit. All of a sudden, the Le Pens keep coming in second in the French presidential elections. All of a sudden, you've got, you know, really virulent anti-immigration stuff like Alternative for Deutschland in Germany, the AFD. You got stuff in Holland. You've got stuff in Denmark. You got stuff in Sweden. And the worst of it still is things like Duterte in the Philippines, who's killing all kinds of people. And Bolsonaro in Brazil, who's not only killing all kinds of people, not just through neglect over COVID, but people get getting killed in the rainforest for guilty of being indigenous or opposing, you know, strip mining, clear cutting and burning the forest and everything. And there's been hits even on a woman journalist in Rio and what you know, the guy's a murderer, basically. And it's, you know, it's not just his son who's got the mob connections, it's him. But anyway. So why all this stuff like this and all at the same time? That's the effect of Satan's comb over. Mm-hmm. You know, that song that opens the uh, new Guantanamo School of Medicine album we call Tea Party Revenge Porn, that song and the Tea Party Revenge Porn song were written before the Trumpsies stole the 2016 election. You know, you can't, you got to admit, they know their vote fraud well because they've gotten away with it. That's how they stole 2016. That's how George W. Bush became president when he lost two elections, if you count what happened in Ohio in 04 as well. And you say this because of the popular vote or? 
Well, um, even the popular vote would have gone a little differently if Jim Crow 2.0 hadn't been that much further off the ground in 2004. One of the key states was Ohio, remember? Mm -hmm. And Ohio, Ohio, Ohio. It came out that all of a sudden, central urban areas, Columbus, other cities, they took the voting machines away. So here were all these African-Americans freezing. I think it was raining and stuff, trying to be able to vote and then they cut them off. Well, there were all these extra voting machines sitting in the suburbs where the white people were. They weren't even getting used. And that one, and, and it was enough that it tipped Ohio and all kinds of people weren't allowed to vote. And the way Catherine Harris tipped Florida to George W. Bush and monkeyed electronically with the voting voter rolls that's detailed well in Greg Palace's book, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, as well as the later documentary that he released in 2016, predicting the vote fraud that got Trump in. But you know, when people you know, in 2000, they were going to vote, oh, you're black, ooh, what do you know? You can't vote, you're a convicted felon. No, I'm not. I'm a minister. That's my church right over there. But you were convicted of a felony in 2006. Convicted of felonies in the future. And it went through and Gore didn't fight it and stuff. So, um, you know, just bitching and moaning about old Jewish ladies, dimply chads in South Florida. Nothing for the African-Americans in North Florida, where Jacksonville was a horror show. I then do a spoken word show at Florida State in Tallahassee, and literally across the tracks is Florida A&M, the so-called black school, where I was told that all the people who went to Florida A&M, and they have thousands of students, were told, you vote in the student union. And the day of the election, the student union was locked. All the doors were locked. They didn't get to vote. Wow. And that stuff went on all over the place. And Jesse Jackson tried to raise a ruckus. And National Enquirer had probably been sitting on the story of his love child. And out it came. And no more Jesse Jackson. And, and Greg Palace said he had offered this information of what was going on to CBS. They, they slammed the door on him. He offered it to the Gore campaign. They slammed the door on him, too. Wonder what kind of a fix was really in and stuff. And so, um, and three now Supreme Court justices were some of the legal goons the Bush people brought in to steal the election, as well as, you know, gangster in chief James Baker and stuff who ran the whole thing. But um, anyway, so this has gone back a long way. So when the Trump followers say they want a great big investigation of vote fraud now, I say, hell yeah, go for it. Just as long as Stacey Abrams is on the investigative committee, if not the chairperson, and investigate mm -hmm. not just any possible fraud on behalf of Biden, but all the other fraud on behalf of not just Trump, mm -hmm. but you tip that, it goes all the way down the ballot too which was especially just drove me crazy after 2016 because Palace had just released this film talking about the interstate cross-check program. Forget Putin, even Jim Crow 2.0, this was the smoking gun. It was put together by Chris Kobach, the ultra right-wing wunderkind from Kansas who wrote Arizona's Show Me Your Papers Law and right. whatnot and has lost two elections to gain political office himself because he's too big an asshole even for the right-wing voters of Kansas. But anyway, um, he's also extremely bright. 
you know, Carl Rove with an even bigger evil brain, I suppose. But he put together a cross-check program, got 29 states to opt in, and they gave their entire database of voters statewide, all 29 states, gave all that to Chris Kobach, who made it into one great big database and then set the cross-check program to work to flag and remove any names that quote-unquote matched. And it was programmed to flag anybody named Washington because supposedly as many as three quarters of people named Washington are African-American. And if your name was Jose Gonzalez or something, all 5,000 of you didn't get to vote and most of you don't know your ballot was tossed and may not know it got tossed again. I don't know. Cross-check fell apart right before our last so-called election when the ACLU finally nailed Kobach in a lawsuit. But um, that machinery not only put Trump in in 2016, and of course it was put together long before Trump even announced, but it also tipped all kinds of Senate elections, House elections, governor, state representative, you name it. And so all kinds of Tea Party crackpots like Ron Johnson and uh, the one who's now retiring in North Carolina, Toomey in Pennsylvania, some other ones who were expected to not only lose, but lose big. Instead, they got another term just in time to put Neil Gorsuch and the rapist and the Handmaid's Tale woman on the Supreme Court. So... They want to bitch about vote fraud, fine. This is a taste of your own medicine if it even exists in the first place. Careful what you ask for. (laughs) So far, but of course, there's all kinds of legislative action going on in Georgia and Florida and other states to tighten voting restrictions even more now that people like Stacey Abrams were able to lead a mass movement to get around all their barriers and get people access back to the voting booth Anyway, I have wondered for years since it's mainly African-Americans and people of color who are targeted for this. And they claim, oh, it's just to keep Democrats from winning. Oh, no, it's racist. It's white supremacist. Jim Crow 2.0. They all know that. But uh, anywho, um, I thought, hey, wait a minute. Why aren't activist groups, especially the black church, stepping in? And if the if it's some particular kind of ID they want, get your people the ID. You have two more years to do it before mm-hmm. the next election. Right. You know, if if they if 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 Texas will accept a gun license but not a student ID, wow. get a non-driver ID for oh, just get a gun license and don't buy a gun, whatever. There's ways mm-hmm. around these evil laws and other forms of ID you can get or already have, and it's fine. You have, Then they'll pass more laws. <laughs> yeah, of course they will. Um, you have some pretty clear perception and some pretty strong opinions on some pretty dark realities. Somebody hit you with something that's a little bit broad and might seem a little bit goofy, but I'm asking you because I've got you here, and I wonder, with the way you see the world and with that worldview, which I find myself in sync with a ton of it, are you a pessimist? I mean, you strike me as being good humored and not grossly unhappy with life. But I mean, with this worldview, I mean, you well, see, do I you mean, see improvement on the horizon under any circumstances? Um, I think Vashlav Havel said it best years ago. Yeah. I am not optimistic, but I have hope. That was a good way of putting it. 
But more to the point, a personal sense, Mm -hmm. if it weren't for my warped sense of humor that sometimes offends a lot of people on our side, sometimes intentionally and and whatnot, and, and just that part of me, I would have pulled a Kurt Cobain decades ago. Okay. I don't know. Plus, with all this stuff going on, we also have to keep track of and... You know, and Biden was saying it in a different way with his memorial to the half million people plus who've died of COVID. In addition to all this stuff going on, we have to hang on to what we like, too. I like music, especially punk music. I like fucking. I, I gotta like tell you, you're writing my outdoors. segues for me because that's where I'm headed next. Punk music, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, and and, and I kind of thought this through when Abby Hoffman died, which okay. I guess even his own family accepts that it was a suicide. But I always wondered about that because the first Bush was president straight from Reagan's vice when he was really running the country while the actor pretended he was president and, you know, CIA and ambassador to China and shit before that, mm-hmm. you know, I figured, you know, it just occurred to me, okay, well, maybe he killed himself, but he also may have been murdered. I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. e- either way, we could sure use his spirit now. And some of that has been in me since I first found out who he was and the kind of pranks he was pulling and stuff. Okay. You know, I like pranks. Did you, you know, do Hunter S. So- Thompson's political stuff at all? Like Fear oh, and yeah. Loathing type stuff? Yeah. Yeah, I read Fear and Loathing, and for a while he was actually um God, I got an Adobe Flash player alert on myself. Shit, where did you go? Can you hear did me? You just kill me because I can still see you. Good, because all of a sudden. There is, I got interrupted by somebody trying to sell me an Adobe fucking flash player or take it out. And no, we don't want this right now. Go away. Fuck you. You there. and the voice are still on my screen. So I'm hoping we're Good, still you're back. You're back. We were, we, we were talking about Thompson. Oh, about Hunter, Hunter Thompson. Yeah. <laughs> Again, um, you know, can't deny that there's some great spirit of, uh, shall we say, what I like to call creative crime. Always been a big fan of creative crime. Okay. Crime is the last unspoiled art form left on earth. You can't study how to do crime at art school so that you'll get proper gallery showings from rich people that get hired by an advertising agency okay. or something. You're totally on your own with this one. I gotta hand it to them TikTok kids who had all <laughs> right? the Trumpsies thinking there were gonna be a million people in Tulsa and the gov- city government did too. And they only get 6,000 people and Trump has a meltdown and everything. Well, the reason I asked and about I Thompson. That, that, that's, okay. that's creative crime. It's it not absolutely even a crime, is. technically, in that one. I mean, another great example was, you know, and I consider this more patriotic than crime. It's definitely a prank. Whoever was working in the kitchen as Mitt Romney pontificated to a bunch of other, you know, rich snakes with money in Florida put a little phone up and recorded Romney ranting and raving about how 47% of Americans are freeloaders. They're never going to support us. They think they're entitled to health care. They think they're entitled to food. He said that. I mean, people think Romney's this moderate and everything. He ain't no moderate. His vice president choice was Paul Ryan, who's as sadistic as Stephen Miller and makes no bones about it. But that right there got all over the place 
and thank Romney. Occupy was the other force at the same time that thank Romney. I was involved. Obama was being all wimpy about, oh, economy's good. I'm keeping the country strong. I love Israel more than my opponent, blah, blah, blah. Not talking about inequality. And then all of a sudden, even Fox and corporate McNBC, whatever, they all had to talk about inequality. Even Pelosi said she supported the occupiers, as did my mother, who was pushing 90 at the time, and now she's 91. But anyway, um, you know, because the uh, 2012, that was not a pro-Obama vote. That was an anti-Romney vote. And why did Romney Hmm. scare the shit out of people? One prankster with a phone. Yeah, true. As well as Occupy. Creative crime. Well framed. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm going to risk setting you off. Uh, You brought up Romney. I saw your response to uh, DK's praise of Romney. You want to unload on that a little bit, or would you like me to move along? Well, I mean, let's just say, for those people who don't know, I mean, the whole reason I do not perform with them, and there's no more dead Kennedys on alternative tentacles, and then instead on a label I do not support, who I will not name, and I will not autograph anything with their name on it, um, you know, it's basically, they've turned dead Kennedys into a scam, basically including a singer who apes my moves and has dismissed everything we did back in the days. Oh, we're a social satire band. So in a way, it kind of didn't surprise me, something like this. Right. And, um, and then Ray comes, oh no, that was our social media coordinator, which might've been him or that singer for all we know, <laughs> or their manager who also manages Christian music acts and things. There's a nice dichotomy. Yeah, and passes himself off as my manager if he thinks it's fit to cut a deal and stuff. That's the complaints yes. I get. Anyway, so, um, you know, I'm just so ashamed of what they've done and trying to dumb everything down and cash in and scam and so many ads for their shows with my picture in it and stuff. It's just... Really? Uh, how do these people sleep at night? I feel you. I, I, I mean, they, they even re-registered to. the songs of BMI so that, you know, that, so that they all wrote them, you know, and which in some cases we did, but a lot of them were just me or there was someone just Ray and Dog Bite was just Klaus, 6025 wrote uh, Religious Vomited, Ill in the Head, Forward to Death, Gaslight, whatever. But now they re-registered. So Poligro is a co-author on all the Fresh Fruit songs which is kind of cosmic and clairvoyant of him to co-write those songs when he wasn't in the band until a year later. I mean, how do these people sleep at night? And now, in case you haven't heard, they're about to come out with a remixed Fresh Fruit. It ain't broken. You're still going to fix it. completely behind my back for the most part. And they, they, they put up one, they put up a, a remix of Chemical Warfare, Cherry Red did in England. Oh, and Jello hates it. That's how they think they're gonna sell more. I don't know. And basically it's done by this great big budget Hollywood dude who's done like Batman movies. He's got Grammys, he's remixed Springsteen named Chris Lord Algae. Why him? They won't tell me. And they're spending at least triple on him than was spent on the entire Fresh Fruit album when we recorded it and everything. And it was just like, and especially 
knowing this guy's reputation and his skill, he's invented equipment and stuff too. And then when I heard back, it sounded like it wasn't even a remix at all. It sounded yeah. like they took the badly mastered first British pressing, which Cherry Red, true to form, was so anxious to get it out, they didn't even let us hear a test pressing. And they had the settings at the wrong speed, at the, in the wrong place for an American versus a British master tape, which the mastering engineer should have known better. They didn't even check the tones, in other words ran it at the wrong speed. So that's why those early copies that still have the faces of the band on the back, the, um, they, um, at least the British ones on Cherry Red, they all sound like this because they're going a little faster and can't hear close at all and whatnot. And what it sounds like to me is somebody recorded off of that record instead of getting a multi-track master stems or anything and then put it through auto-tune Oh God! And added some buffy bottom to it, and it's like not only I wonder how the hell do they sleep at night? How does Chris Lord Algae sleep at night? You know, th and and supposedly then finally took four lawyer letters to that idiot manager to uh, to come back. Oh yeah, well it's going to be a big booklet. There's going to be a video. There's going to be this. I'm like, oh well, gee. <laughs> yeah. Funny how you didn't tell me that. <laughs> well, so, it doesn't sound like any fun at all. In fact, it 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 it, it no, sounds like an abomination. I'm well, it's, it's, it's a very it, it it's a very traumatic wound that just never ever goes away because they keep ripping it open again and stuff. At the I mean, same I've time, done... bitching and moaning that I won't do reunion shows with them. I've turned down offers as high as four million bucks to get back together with them you know how long it took me to say no that way okay you're setting up a perfect segue for me which is the way that the animal itself has changed uh and as far as american punk rock it's easy to debate exactly where it started but there's no debating by virtue of your years your ground floor it is undeniably a different animal now well, it's um, a bunch or at least of different a lot of animals it's a yeah. bunch of different animals. Okay. And it was MRR in part that split things into genres as well as British media and, and, and music media and everything else, where you had to find new terms for things when you're trying to review all these releases in MRR or Flipside or anywhere else. The first place I ever saw the term grunge was in Maximum Rock and Roll. Really? Long before Nirvana. And the first place I ever saw emo was a description of not Fugazi, but Ian's previous and very important transitional band called Embrace. Yeah. And that's where they that's where they were supposed to be talking about emo and stuff. And then now major labels use emo and they even use shoegazer as a as a positive term for right. some bands, which I, I never thought I'd see. That's worse than calling yourself a centrist. But uh, so um well let me ask you this first. You're saying we all agree on where punk started in America. No, I'm no, I'm saying Do it's very we? easy. No, I'm Do saying it's we? very easy to debate, but it's really? hard to tell a guy. No, it's hard to tell a guy who hit the ground running in the 70s that he's not ground floor or first gen. You know what I mean? Ramones or Stooges? MC5. I think Iggy would even agree with that one, actually. <laughs> Maybe you go back further, Little Richard, James yeah, Brown. Sure. And that spirit was definitely in somebody like Oscar Wilde, where luckily he was born late enough in history, he wasn't executed on the spot, like in medieval times. Well, something. Joe, you just took yourself off the ground floor. Why would you do that? 
Well, I mean, I was never on the ground floor. I mean, Ray has declared dead Kennedys the American sex pistols, but all that's doing is really arrogantly pissing on all our ancestors. Okay. And not just the Ramones, but even in San Francisco Bay Area alone, we were third generation. Really? First generation crime, nuns, the late Mary Monday, and then second generation Avengers, Dills, Mutants, Sleepers, Negative Trend, UXA, third generation, the offs, then dead Kennedys, then KGB that morphed into no alternative after a while. You know, we were, and we could not have ever existed if it weren't for the groundwork laid not only by Ramones and Pistols and Stooges and Dead Boys and all that good stuff, but by the local bands and a, and a key decision by Dirk Dirksen when he was about the only people who would book these bands in Mabuhe Gardens to make the shows all ages. He may have done that just for monetary gain. I have no idea. But I was 19 when Dead Kennedys first started rehearsing. Okay. Right. There would be no hope for that if Mabuhe was over 21. I mean, when we did an early er, early yeah. visit to the East Coast in 1979, before we even had a record out and lost our shirts and whatnot, part of the reason the that scene right then where the bands, a lot of them remember, had, had moved on to major labels or whatever, gotten bigger, and then there was this void where there was a lot of mediocrity, and oh, this is a, you're going to open for voodoo shoes because a sister of somebody in Blondie is in the band and stuff like yeah. that. Right. You know, and the reason it was stuck like that was the shows were age restricted, including, if I'm not mistaken, CBGBs was too. Those ones was I anyway. CBGBs would book later. us because of our name. Okay. They wouldn't book us because of our name. I mean, so uh, you know, when they want us to fly out and play a benefit for them later, we just laughed. <laughs> funny they didn't need the money anyway but well, so everything you've just described to me and doing a doing a better drill down on the genealogy i would ask you about all of that which to me was just like reading the walls in the maximum basement on clipper street that's what that just felt like but uh anyway do you feel like any of that has any moral tether or creative tether to say something like punk rock bowling um well i mean people learned how to corporatize it over the years but let's face it from the beginning, there, there was a strain of Southern California punk bands who came up through hardcore because they were younger and the skaters and the surfers liked them and they weren't from Hollywood and stuff, like the adolescents, like TSOL, like early social distortion or some of the shorter lived ones like Symbol 6 or Saigon. They had this sound that was very powerful but very melodic at the same time, where a lot of these songs, especially the adolescents and stuff, if it was anybody but these bands in this scene, that song would be all over the radio. Just like bands of the same age, you know, some of Question Mark and the Mysterians weren't even old enough to drive. Same with the castaways and whatnot. You know, when you could put out a single, get on the radio locally, sometimes it would take off. And it wasn't just a handful of major labels trying to dumb down everything, looking for the next Springsteen or the next Bee Gees or the next Eagles or something. So, you know, I knew at some point, somewhere, 
even if it isn't those bands, this is going to catch sometime. <laughs> sometime people who like melodic sing-along stuff and they hear it on the radio, they're going to dig it. You know, Dexter, you know, told me straight out without my prompting that they owed everything to TSOL in that case, that that was a big that's pretty inspiration easy, That's pretty easy to detect. But them. they happened to be the ones who landed in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Anti-Flag has a lot of adolescence and that sound in them, even though they were from Pittsburgh, they were later when the market popped open. And, um, but the other reason whether people like it or not, and boy, did Johanna and I get into it over this to the point where I was disowned as an evil sellout from that point onward was, you know, this was gonna happen and you can look at it as this is all some evil thing to steal our scene or look at it a different way like they do in the hip hop world. You know, I asked Ice-T, why isn't there this crab in the bucket, dog eat dog backbiting whenever anybody breaks through in hip hop? And he said, "Was a, no, we look at it as, you know, somebody in the hood actually made it and got through. Mm-hmm. Which is, that's my answer to everybody who puts down Billy Joe and Green Day for staging American Idiot on Broadway. Mm-hmm. I mean, it took, it takes talent to crack Broadway. Well, to, to me, and a, a lot, lot of, of and a lot of those bands that got mega huge all over the place, it's they were not exactly the worst or more fo- most formulaic of the pop punk stuff. Right. I mean, you can't deny that Green Day, Offspring, Rancid, you name a bad religion, they broke through. Well, the ones broke through when suddenly the audience opened up because they had good music. Well, in all those cases, good enough that even I, who can't stand a lot of pop punk, like it. I mean, the more formulaic pop punk that came later were every single band. Whoa, 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 oh, my girl doesn't love me anymore. And, you know, that stuff to me is kind of, it's like the Eagles with loud guitars. And you're old enough to know how horrible the Eagles really are and what a horrible effect they had on people and stuff. Most people our age like them. That's just one part of the problem. But, uh, but you see what I'm saying? Whenever, whenever I'm playing somebody's demo or whatever in the car, that's where I do demo gong show mm-hmm. and everything. Don't have time to be sitting there listening to band camp or whatever. And I got an old car with a CD player. And so, you know, gong show is what i do just like i did with cassettes before that eagles with loud guitars out of the stereo it goes sometimes out the window too i guess basically but 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 but, yeah but okay but but getting back to you know the punk animal you know it's not one animal anymore anymore that psychedelic stuff from the 60s is one animal either It, it just went in a million different directions not all of it good. I mean, some of these very same whiny voiced formula pop punk bands are the ones that have modeling agencies or lawyers offices on the return address. Right. Or something like that. Yes, modeling agencies. I am not kidding. I believe And you. so, um, yeah, and American Idol did its own damage because sometimes we got stage parents sending us stuff for their kid wondering if we would make them into another american idol or something look at her she's 14 she's a cheerleader she's in french club and wait till you hear her sing redneck woman 
So that one I also be- remembered because I put it on and you compare it to Leanne Rhymes or some other people in ear for country music. The girl had had a real voice. Yeah. She had talent. But what do you want to bet with a stage parent or two like that? By the time she was 18, she hated music and much preferred alcohol or drugs. Totally. So, I mean, if I can attempt a loose translation, you're not saying it's fortunate or unfortunate. It's just inevitable. And you can spend all your time bitching about it. Okay. Or you can say, hey, look, okay, if I'm that upset with Green Day, Fine. I'll just go back down to Gilman Street and support new bands that I like who could use some fans and support. It means staying curious. It means keeping your ear to the ground, not because you feel obligated to or it's some kind of job, but because you're either a fan or you're not. Oh, I do these interviews. So, so, um, so basically, you know, I'm saying, okay, you know, you, you don't like where these people go on, go support somebody you do. And if you're really one of these people my age, like, oh, punk died when Darby Crash died. I'm like, hey, put down the bottle, put down the needle, leave your apartment and go see bands live at random until you find something that really blows you away. Because that is still out there. The magic accidents, the surprise, the total surprises. I get that. And I appreciate that. Last question. Last uh, question already. Last question. I don't dig two-hour podcasts. I find them. Aww. Dude, I have, well, some of my favorite episodes on this thing are 29 minutes. But well, I was not crazy the, enough to that's think. That's like I get do, for digressing and stuff. I did not think. I was not crazy enough to think I'd get to do 29 minutes of Jello Biafra. I knew better. <laughs> um, but my final question for you. A life spent. Yeah, I don't know. We're, we're probably right around an hour, which is, I like that size. Um, a life spent in the public eye since at least 79, right? and largely addressing important things and being an important voice, what would make you quit at this point? Or would anything make you step out of the public eye? I don't know. Death. Death? There we go. We're out, sir. I mean, I, all I can say is I cannot tell you how grateful I am that there would even be enough interest in me at age 60 fucking two that anybody would care what my new music sounds like, let alone that it's as good as at least I think it is, and uh, and that people are willing to trust me on that. And, you know, that there's any interest at all, let alone the amount of interest there is, you know, I, I'm very grateful to everybody who stayed interested because otherwise, I don't know if I'd be living in a tent at this point. The only thing worse than being stuck in a tent in San Francisco waiting for the police to throw my birth certificate and my laptop in a trash truck and take a bicycle and send me on my way in the rain is having to be out there with a tent with no record collection. Guess what? That gets to be your closing quote for today, sir. (laughs) Um, Listen, Joe, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've never talked to each other. I don't. Well, here's the here's the here's the thing. Okay, I'll 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 nail you with something, and I wouldn't expect you to remember. But you and I have actually had a meal together, twenty tank twenty tank brewery at your birthday party in either ninety one or ninety two. Hmm. Um, bunch of people from from Mortem and AT. A bunch of people from that warehouse. Oh, I was there with my girlfriend who was who was a shit worker at Maximum, and I got to sit. I got to sit in audience. 
had John Yates who organized it by inviting all of their friends, but it was still a fun party. Hey man, John Yates made tonight happen. John Yates and Anne Marie, so. Oh yeah, yeah, mm. no. J- 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 I mean, that's the kind of reward you get from this stuff yeah. is when instead of, oh, let me, give me a selfie right when you're in the middle of doing a show or something like that, or here, can you sign my nuts and everything you're God? No, I'm not God, please. Do something, right. you know, you like that, then then do something yourself. You know, I like the ones who show me what they did. Here's my record. Here's my book. Here's something else I did. Here's right. a prank I pulled on people, right. et cetera. And I began getting these packets of really well done collage art yeah. by this guy named John Yates. And mm-hmm. so I was enthusiastic, wrote him back and God, your stuff is good enough. You want to work on some stuff for the Gimme Convenience or Gimme Death booklet? And he sends back more amazing things to right. the point where me and Winston Smith lobbied him to come over here and visit. And then the next thing you know, he's actually moved here and we have a job for him. We can hire an art guy full-time at Alternative Tentacles, which we kind of carved out the position as an excuse to hire John. Nice. And the rest is history. Allied Records, Steelworks, and, uh, you know, he still does art for some of my records and stuff. I could not be happier than you and I closing singing the praises of John Yates. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, listen, sir, take care. Here's Johnny. (laughs) No, that's not Johnny. It's my hands trying to imitate John Yates and not knowing how because they're hands. So there you go. All right. Um, the care, likelihood Dan. is extremely high. A few projects down the line, I'm going to bug you again, sir. Oh, no problem. We can talk about the rest of Tea Party Revenge Porn. There's much more on there, too. But in the meantime, the vinyl is finally about to arrive. CDs shortly. I put it up online and just dropped it because I wanted it out before the election. But even the songs that mention Trump, much to my horror, are more relevant now than they were last fall. You know, people keep saying, oh, yeah, you predicted some of this shit clear back during Fresh Fruit and whatnot. Maybe I should quit writing this stuff. The fuck you Music, spoken word. All these worst case scenarios I make up in my head keep coming true. You're damning yourself for foresight. Oh, yeah. Well, it's better than not having any at all. Agreed, sir. It's better than nothing but sex, drugs, and rock and roll lyrics. That's for sure. You do realize if I let you keep talking, we're going to be here for a day. All of it gold. <laughs> Nardwar kept me on for six hours, and we were mostly talking about weird records. Risk of getting of getting on the wrong side of somebody who has a far larger viewership than me. I cannot stand his interviews. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess they're not really six hours of Nardwar. Wouldn't be for you then. No, sir. Okay. All right. Thank so you're you not so much. Form Joe. a garage rock band just so Nardwar will interview you. That will not fucking happen. Oh, guess the Lake LaSalle or Cesare Le Roman cover band is going to have to come from somewhere else. Yeah, don't, right. call, don't call me. There you go. All right, away I go and away you go and hopefully we'll cross paths in the future and hopefully not in some COVID catacomb, but we shall oh, see. Oh, dear God. Yeah. Right, thank you. That was a blast. Take care. Yeah, likewise. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. 
I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 